Welcome to the teaching podcast here at FBC Keller. I'm Andrew Young, I'm the minister to students here at FBC Keller and, and honored to serve this church and, and be a part of this. Um, we want to help equip and serve each member of our church, and so this is just a unique way that we get to do that. So today I am leading us in um, Ecclesiastes in chapter 9 today uh, as we've been walking through this book. And um, it's kind of uh, a little bit of a unique chapter, but um, one that ends ends really in a good light um, and gives us a lot of encouragement at the end. So stick with me through this. I promise you God's Word is good and uh, it has a lot for us in wisdom today. So Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and we're just going to look at the first 10 verses of chapter 9, Ecclesiastes 9, 1 through 10. And so our main point today as we kind of dive into Ecclesiastes 9 is that death can render life's actions to emptiness, but Jesus gives abundant and eternal life. So we are going to talk about death today, and it's one that we all need to examine and think about in life, one that is something we share. Um, but I've kind of broken this down into three different um, sections. Um, the first uh, six verses we'll talk about death can render life's actions to empty, and then Solomon kind of switches up his gears in the last four verses and talks about how death can render life's actions full. Um, whereas we'll end today in the last section talking about where Jesus comes into this picture and his relationship with us really gives us abundant and eternal life, both here in the present and forever with him. And so we'll talk about those three things in detail, but I do want to pray real quickly for us as we jump into this. And Lord, we ask you for your grace and your mercy each and every day. We pray that this would encourage us, that this would edify us as the body, that Ecclesiastes 9 would be something that we would hear refreshing this morning or today or wherever we are. And Father, all of this would come to glorify you. Let me pray this in Jesus' name. So we've all encountered death in our lives. And one such encounter that um, I'll never forget was on a mission trip to Romania. We had set a time of benevolence to the gypsy population in Romania and took groceries to a recently made widow. Her husband had just died a few days before, and uh, her pastor said we could go and pray and give her groceries, the things that she needed. And so we met the woman and her family at her home, and after praying for her, she invited us into the home next door, which we found out was part of her family as well. But what I saw, I wasn't ready for. Um, what we saw when we walked into the house was her husband's body wrapped in the middle of the room while the family members all the way down to the children, the grandchildren, just wept around him. And uh, death had hit this family really hard. The man who had died was the patriarch. He was the leader of the home. And this was, this was their way and their culture to honor and grieve over him. And it was an experience I'll never forget. It was one I, I didn't think I would experience walking in to do benevolence ministry um, at that time. And so one thing we always hear about death or I'll say this, one thing we always hear is that there's two absolutes in life, right? And that's death and taxes. Um, death is a strange thing. You can eat all the kale salads you want, but you can't outrun death. In fact, it's also not surprising to see a person live to be 100 who drank five Dr. Peppers a day. We can try to fight it, we can try to beat it, but in the end, death will win. So let's go ahead and read Ecclesiastes 9, 1 through 10 and see what we're talking about here from Solomon's wisdom. Verse 1 says, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. 
Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears as he is he is um and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. Verse three. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and the madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead will know nothing, and they will have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Verse 7, Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let the garments be always white, let not oil be lacking on your head. And enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your life, of your vain life, that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Shoal at which you are going. So those are the first 10 verses of Ecclesiastes. Um, in this ninth chapter, he talks strictly about death. And Solomon, in his wisdom, looking back on life and experience, it doesn't matter how wise you are, how much money you have or make, how much comfort you have, how successful, religious, or perfect your life might be, death is the great equalizer. And this chapter just gives us an outlook on life in contemplation of death. And so, like I said earlier, this passage is broken down into two sections, the first six dealing with the outlook and reality of death on humanity, in the last four, with the outlook of death through the lens of life presently and how we should live through it. So, as we look through these first six verses, think this in mind, death can render life's actions too empty. So, let's read verses one and two again, just to refresh, and we'll jump right into it. But all this I lay to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, the good and the evil, the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. So Solomon really drives this reality of death in this passage so he can tell us how to handle death. Look at verse 1. Solomon states, He examined it all, and all is laid to heart. Solomon has taken the ample and intentional time to evaluate the question at hand. He's analyzed how the righteous and how the wise and their action, actions are in God's hands, and how does man not know if that indicates God's love or hate. So Solomon has touched on this topic before. We've seen it in chapter 3. How can we determine if God loves or hates us? The answer is simply, well, can we determine if God loves or hates us? The answer is simply no. God is sovereign, is in control of all things, yet his actions and will are not based on whether we love him or please him more. The teaching that our faithfulness to God results in life, live the prosperous or perfect way is dangerous and it's wrong. 
God, the one who created us and orchestrates our lives in his wisdom, knows and gives our first breath and our last. And the circumstances in between are his to control. And being in God's hand is not synonymous with prosperity or health or pain-free living. We as God's people will suffer. But we trust that Jesus is enough and that in his control, his timing and his plan are the best amid suffering. So the question, how do we know godliness and faithfulness doesn't guarantee our comfort or prosperity? Let's look at verse 2. Because death is the same for all. Solomon gives us six pairs of examples to display this point. It doesn't matter in what circumstance you are in, death is the same for all. The same event, death, happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to the one who sacrifices and the one who doesn't sacrifice, to the one who is good and the one who sins, and the one who swears an oath and the one who shuns an oath. Now, when you look at that list, especially as an Israelite in this day, Solomon is basically saying that at the end of the day, being an obedient Israelite means nothing. You're going to die. You're going to face death. In the the end, we all share in that. But to the greater point, nothing we do, we do, makes a difference in the end. We can be morally good. We can make all the right sacrifices, all the right oaths, yet we all die. And here's the climax of Solomon's great book of vanity of vanities and meaningless life. We all share the same fate, death. And if that wasn't enough depression, verse 3 is the highlight of this thought. Let's look at verse 3 again. It says, This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that they go to the dead. The reason we have this meaningless outlook of death originated with the greatest evil that has ever happened under the sun. Solomon is pointing to the original sin from the garden. Look at verse Genesis 1 and 2, chapters 1 and 2, and you see that we were created to live. We were created to have a relationship with God, to be um, part of his glory. Yet you see a hard fall in chapter 3 of Genesis where we all end up dying from our consequences. So why do we die? Adam's sons are full of evil and go to the dead. There was a consequence in the garden when Adam and Eve took of the fruit and disobeyed God. All of Adam's descendants now are full of evil, have a sin nature, and then from that they die. This is the connection with the fall. Um, We see this in verse 3, with the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. That originates with Adam. The madness in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. We have all inherited the curse of death from our father, Adam. Now, if you look at life around you, you can see this. Um, The greatest thing in my life is my son Josiah is two years old. And if you want to see if original sin nature is true, you can come to my house I have seen my son disobey, not listen, and flat out do the opposite of what I ask him to do. And at times, he will do something like kick his little nine-month sister and think, where did he learn that? No one else is kicking my daughter. No one has taught him that. But it's because he's a born sinner, just like the rest of us. And scripture is clear in Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wage, the consequence of that sin is death. So, 
slightly shifting, Solomon then takes a glance at our life considering death in the next three verses. So look at verse 4, 5, and 6. He says, But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. So what is he saying? He's saying life is much more advantageous than death. That death, despite the meaningless of life in this cursed world, life is much more advantageous than death. Verse 4, the living, why? The living have hope. He says, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Now, if you were to go back in the ancient times, dogs were viewed as scoundrels. They were perceived as dirty. They were perceived as unclean. And if you were to take the symbolism of lions, they were probably more on the side of nobility or royalty and in a simple fashion, Solomon's point here is this, that even a disgusting dog is better than a noble lion in this, in this context. Why? Because the living, the living dog has hope. The dead have nothing. All the emotions, both good and bad, have been forgotten, and none of what they have are still under the sun. So verse 5 and 6 get to the point of the living know that they will die, and the dead know nothing. They have no more reward, their memory forgotten. Love and envy have faded, and they share no more. The living's advantage is that they can reckon with the reality of death and do something about it. And you ask, how does looking at death really help the living? Well, Solomon would tell you that not thinking about death, but instead living as though you have an endless supply, is foolishness. You would be unwise to not contemplate death while being alive. Now, you hear this saying a lot, live every day as if it were your last. I think Solomon would say that'd be unwise. Because if this were the case, you would live each day, live each day without care or concern of the things you were to steward over. The bills would never be paid, your families would never be taken care of, the responsibilities in your life would never be done. Instead, in light of death, in contemplation of death, we should live knowing that we only have a set number of days. Living your life with this in mind is wise because it would help you not to be careless with the things in your life that are important. You take time with your spouse. You would miss time with your kids, being different with your job or the other distractions that don't need to take priority. See, when we live knowing that we only have a set number of days, we will appreciate the things in life. We'll appreciate the things that we um, really need to prioritize. And so we see a change in Solomon's outlook on death. He gives application for us. He shows us then in these last four verses that in contemplation of death, in looking at death and understanding that we only have a set number of days, we can enjoy life. So we move from death rendering our actions to empty to death rendering our actions to fullness in life. So let's read verses 7 through 10. Said in verse 7, Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Let not oil be lacking in your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Shoal that which you are going. 
So again, in simple terms, contemplate death and take it to heart so you can enjoy life. Now, thinking back on that family in Romania that I had experienced seeing mourning over their father, husband, brother passing, influenced me as I got home. I mean, I found my wife at the airport and I hugged her and I appreciated her more than when I had left before the trip. And when we watch the news and we hear tough reports about people losing family to all sorts of things, to disease, to terrible things, I squeeze my kids and I love and enjoy the time I get with them more because we see, we understand, we see the wisdom and understanding that we only have a set number of days to in which we can enjoy and live life. So in light of this harsh reality of death, Solomon really encourages us to enjoy life. So look at these verses. I mean, these are so practical and applicational. Solomon tells us to verse 8, verse 7, eat and drink with a merry heart. God has already proved what you do. He tells us to have fellowship, to enjoy relationships with one another. When you eat and when you drink, you should go and do that. You should share and break bread with brothers and sisters. It says, don't move that, though, however, to the sin of drunkenness or cause a brother to stumble, but yet enjoy life. Enjoy the things that God has given us. Verse 8, he tells us something really interesting. He says, to wear white all the time and let oil not be lacking from your head. Now, white and oil were in this symbolic nature of celebrating. So you would wear white when you were celebrating in the time of the Israelites. And he says he encourages us to celebrate life and the things we can celebrate together. Now, oil, we can talk about the anointing part of oil, but that's not what his point is here. His point here was that oil was used to make you smell better. And in the context of wearing white all the time and celebrating, he's honestly just telling you to clean yourself up, take a bath, go and wear something nice, and enjoy life. That's honestly where we're getting to with this. Take time to enjoy and celebrate the things of life, but still smell really good while you do it. So verse 9, he says, enjoy your wife or enjoy your spouse. Um, men, we've, we've talked a lot about this. You are to commanded to love your wife and to enjoy her. And there is so much blessing there. There's so much that we can take from even that. In verse 10, he says to enjoy your work, to do everything, whatever it finds you to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge and wisdom in show to which you are going. Whatever your job is, hobby, the things for your life, do them in a life-giving attitude. Do them with enjoyment. Do things that give you rest. Do things that give you joy. Do things that are as much as you can life giving to you. And if you are working hard at a job that you don't enjoy, continue to ask God and pray Him for a mindset change, to change those things that you would enjoy those things, or find a job in which you enjoy and activities in which you enjoy that would be life-giving. So all these things are not sinful. And why? Because God has approved what you do to enjoy life in light and contemplation of death. So as we look at these two things, as we look at the, at the at least 10 verses of chapter 9, we see that the change of, of contemplating death really moves into a positive and encouraging side where Solomon really encourages us to live our life to the fullest. But my last point is we still have not yet talked about 
Christ, we still have not yet talked about eternal life. We've talked about the humanity side of it and the wisdom that Solomon is giving. So our last point here is that Jesus is the one that gives us abundant and eternal life. Solomon in his wisdom takes on the human side of life and death. He does center death and the evil of it to a central point in verse 3. Sin and the consequence of that sin is death through Adam and the first man. But Romans 5 tells us that even though sin entered through one man, life also came into the world through one man, Jesus. And Jesus lived a perfect life, the Son of God to be the sacrificial atonement for the sins of mankind. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, we have eternal life through him. In receiving eternal life, we're also gifted an abundant life. We look at John chapter 10, verse 10, to live life to the fullest. And living our life now is for the glory of God, that we do all things for his glory. We do all things in excellence. We do all things in enjoyment of that life with the purpose of sharing the good news of the gospel so that all would know the hope and life found in Christ. Christians face death differently than the world. We die differently than the world because we have hope and because we know that this is not the end. So I pray for you listening that you would accept this gospel as truth, that you would see Jesus as abundant, um, as eternal in our life, that he's the one that truly gives that to us. And we need to come to him to find the abundancy and eternality of life. He is our hope. He is what allows us to live this life fullest He's what allows us to live this life in the way that God created us to live it. And when we come to look at this chapter, when we see death, when we see the reality of death, would we live our lives to God to give Him the glory in all things, knowing that He is in control, knowing that um, we can live this in and through Him. And so I'm thankful for this time with you guys. Thank you for listening, and we pray that this would bless you.